afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 137, and we are pleased to have on Mike Hilmer, the head basketball a boys basketball coach at Northland High School in Iowa, uh, Northland, Iowa. Uh, coach is really, really busy. Uh, the boys uh, baseball team, well, the baseball team, it's not the boys baseball team. The baseball team qualified for the state tournament. Uh, the softball team is in the state tournament in two different places. Mike, are you eating up some highway miles here this week? <laughs> We've eaten up quite a bit of highlight, uh, highway miles and uh when the boys got beat in their first round game, we had to we had to leave at about four a.m. in the morning to get my son uh, over to the the Shrine Bowl practices uh, for the All Star football game this Saturday that he's playing in. So uh, we've been back and forth quite a bit. Uh, our five year old daughter uh, is is the one probably taking the, the hardest <laughs> hit on this one. <laughs> she's getting a, she's getting a good view from that back seat of the back roads of Iowa. She is, and I've gotten very good at answering the question: How long till we get there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, you are a trooper. Uh, that is, I, I'm sure your your community greatly appreciates your sacrifices and 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 the stuff that you're doing there. Uh, so we, we we will jump into that. The, the girls are still playing, correct? We're, we're taping this on girls, Thursday afternoon. Yeah, the girls got beat in the semifinals last night, so uh-huh. they play for third and fourth place tomorrow. Gotcha. Gotcha, and that's in Fort Dodge, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, you're going through that. I'm coming a little bit off the DL here. I had a tooth pulled yesterday, and my mouth is still kind of getting used to being minus one tooth here. So uh, I, I told my wife that she's now married to kind of a hillbilly husband here with a with a missing tooth, but it's way in the back. It was a molar, so nobody can see it. So we're we're both going through our stuff here, Coach. We'll we'll fight our way through it for the good of our listeners. Um, before we get going with Coach Hilmer. Uh, we, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSAC Chiro. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. That's again at a pen and a napkin. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you're on iTunes, so be sure to download, rate, and review this podcast. Give us five stars so that we can get momentum out in the ratings and help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Check out a pen and a napkin.com. I think it's a really good coaching website. I think it's really good because I made it, so I'm a little bit biased. And, of course, if you would be willing to go past our Patreon page, go to patreon.com backslash a pen and a napkin, or if you go to a pen and a napkin.com, you can help us out there as well. So, Coach Helmer, uh, a little bit of downtime this week. I appreciate it. It sounds like life has been pretty chaotic for you, but it's a good chaos. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast this week, and let's, uh, let's dive into it. How's that sound? That sounds great. All right. Um, you know, hey, Coach, for, for uh, you know, we'll, we'll start this uh, pod the, the way we kind of normally do here. Uh, for folks that are kind of unfamiliar with your basketball journey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how, uh, you know, how your career has gone and, and, and just, uh, you know, how you've ended up on the podcast here today. Sure. Uh, you know, I just knew at a young age, uh, when I was really young, uh, my dad was a head basketball coach. Here in Iowa, he's he's currently the winningest coach in, in the history of Iowa basketball. So um, I learned from a, a you know a really good mentor, um, and I just watching him and just kind of watching you know the the stuff that goes into the the planning and and you know the showmanship and kind of the scouting and stuff like that. I, I fell in love with with all sports at a young age, and uh, so I did a lot of park and rec stuff when I was in college, and in my later years of high school, I spent the summers working with younger kids. Um, matter of fact, one of those kids that I had on my, on my team was um, uh, home plate umpire for our game yesterday, uh, <laughs> in which we lost six to two. So I gave him a little hard time after the game, but, uh, you know, I, I knew I was going to coach at a young age. So, uh, went to college for that. I an educator. Uh, so I got a social studies and, and, uh, physical education degree. And then my first job out of college, I went to Lincoln central, uh, 
it was a, a small school that was only going to be open for a couple more years mm-hmm. uh, as they were, you know, hitting their, their, you know, small, not enough numbers to keep rolling and I knew that going in. So during the so era of consolidation years, in Iowa there, when everybody was, condo- I said that was during the era of consolidation in Iowa where everybody was con- uh, starting to consolidate schools. I remember when yeah. Estherville Lincoln Central did that, Sibley, O'Cheed, and all of that stuff, George Little Rock, all that fun stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and Lincoln Central then turned into Esterville Lincoln Central, and I was really, really fortunate. I really didn't have a head coaching job, so I coached head coach basketball there for two years. We had a record of two and thirty-eight. One of our seasons was zero and twenty, and I got a call from the athletic director at Esterville, uh, who they were combining with, in the middle of the summer. And apparently, the head coach had taken another job. The legendary. Uh, Tim Maskey, so uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was just one of my friends playing playing a joke on me or something. Since my record was two and thirty eight, I didn't think they would be knocking on my door. So uh, after a couple, the guy called me back a couple times after I didn't believe him. I finally just said, "Come down to the school," and so I went down there in my shorts and t shirt, and uh, you know we had a long talk, and he offered me the, the job there, which I'm very very thankful for. Uh, Al Lindbergh was his name and, and he's passed away since, but I had a lot of respect for him and he's really the one that got me catapulted into to my career. So I was very fortunate there. And then, uh, after six years there, um, there was a job opening down here at Northland. I honestly, God wasn't really looking to go anywhere, but my, my brothers and sisters all live down in the Cedar Rapids area, mm-hmm. Mount Vernon, North Liberty and Cedar Rapids. So uh, I would put us all really close together and, uh, went down, enjoyed the interview, and and decided that was going to be my next step, and I've been here ever since. Gotcha. Uh, did you go to Northland? Were you uh, a teacher, or did you go straight into administration? No, I was. Uh, I was the social studies teacher, U.S. history teacher for the first several years I was there, and uh, it's kind of slowly morphed into now I'm the athletic director, and I still teach a few uh, physical education classes, but I'm out of the you know, the history classroom altogether. So it's just kind of been a slow change all the way through. But 15 years ago when I took AD, I became athletic director, activities director, I guess it is here, mm-hmm. uh, and then still taught a few classes. So. Yeah. Uh, your dad, as you mentioned, Bob, uh, just legendary coach, 55 years. That is that is a long time to be on the sideline. Uh, you know, what was it like uh, growing up you know, essentially in the gym and, and, and I'm sure tailing your dad around and, and just, you know, following him and, 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 and being around with him as, as, as much as you were, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, honestly, the, the biggest memories I have when I was younger was going scouting with my dad all the time because now you watch, you know, you watch film and for a while in there you traded film. But back in the good old days, you, had, you actually had to go to the games and watch if you want to scout the other team and uh, my dad was a master at preparing for other teams, and you know, I can I can remember we'd get out of the car, it'd be freezing cold or whatever, and we'd be running across the parking lot to get to, you know get to the gym and watch a couple teams I knew nothing about. And so you know, growing up with him, that was that was a big key to you know learning you know what it takes to be successful with him and his preparation and things like that. The time that you put in that you know maybe some of the average people don't don't notice if you've never been in the coaching profession, but. I uh, learned all that from my dad. I can remember being in the huddles. You know, I, I would be the guy. Back in the day, everybody used rosin, and I brought the rosin into the, into the huddle, and people would, you know, I guess uh, LeBron still does that, but <laughs> I'd bring that in, and everybody, you know, used the rosin, and I just loved being in the huddle and listening to, the, you know, what the coaches were saying and things like that. So I uh, learned a lot from my dad, and actually he co-coached with me here for five years, so that was that was a treat having him here as well. Yeah, uh, that had to be. Uh, what was what was kind of the the most special part of that for you being being with your dad like that? Well, you know, just really the day to day stuff where you can, you know, there's. I, I joke with people quite a bit that sometimes we, you know, you're not always going to agree with your parents. So when you're coaching, obviously you're not always going to agree with the other coach. So sometimes we'd have, you know, we might have a little discussion on you know, a topic or whatever. And if my dad would end the conversation with, well, I've been doing this 55 years and I would lose the conversation then right there. So <laughs> there, was, there was very little debate, but you know, I will say my dad is, is definitely the guy, you know, we, we really want to be a pressing team and, and that kind of thing. And he was the guy that 
that convinced me we could do it not only on a made shot, but on a missed shot. And we've been doing it for six straight years and it's, you know, it's been nothing but great for us. Yeah. You, uh, you know, I, I think what is an interesting part of your story, Mike, is, you know, you, you've you've kind of ran the gamut of, of the career. You, uh, like you said, you, you start out your career, your, your head coaching career, 2-38 and 38 and, and 0 and 20 season in there. Uh, you, you actually went uh, your first 25 years as a head coach uh, not getting down to the state tournament. And then, of course, you uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. Obviously, you, the the run that that you've had the last few years here, being down there the last six years, um, did that, you know, start to your career? Um, that that long time of of not getting down to the state tournament has that made you uh, a lot more appreciative of of the run that you've been on uh, the last few years here and and kind of giving you a, a different point of view maybe than if, if this six-year run would have happened earlier in your career? Yeah, you know, I think we all, we all come out of college thinking we know everything and, you know, we're going we're gonna to go and no matter who we're coaching, we're going to turn them into winners and, and this and that. And, and, you know, one of the things I really try to stress to young coaches is be confident in yourself. Uh, don't let your record, you know, dictate what you think about your own coaching because – you know, in high school sports, you're, you're coaching the team that's put before you, and sometimes you're really talented and sometimes you may not be. Uh, but, I, I mean, I can remember the days I'd call my dad and I'd say, man, you know, we really played good today. And, and he'd be like, well, how'd you end up? And I'd go, oh, we lost by 30, but, you know, we, <laughs> we did we did a lot of good things. And then he'd complain about, boy, we just played terrible tonight. And I'd say, well, did you lose? And he'd say, well, no, we won by 20, but we sure didn't do a lot of things right. So, I mean, <laughs> you, it's, it's, it's a perspective thing. And I, I think you definitely, when you're losing, you know, it, it, it's, it's just like anything else. When things aren't going well, you, you start to question yourself a little bit. And that's one thing I try to tell young coaches is, you know, don't, don't question yourself. Be confident in what you're doing. You know, uh, go, to, go to clinics, learn from other people. I mean, that's the best way to get better is obviously to, to learn from other people. But uh, mm-hmm. it definitely, when, when you go in 20, uh, I can remember that year like it was yesterday. Uh, I love those kids no different than the kids I coach today. They just they just weren't as talented yeah. in basketball. But we you know we had a lot of fun and we had a lot of good kids in, in that group. And uh, I'm sure all of them look back and hopefully they do just like I do with fond memories of, of Lincoln Central, uh, regardless of how many games we won. Mm-hmm. Did you ever yeah. have any? Like you kind of talked about, did you ever have any self? Not and, and self doubt's a bad word, but were you like? You know, I'd like to get down there on the floor at some point at, at Veterans slash Wells Fargo Arena. Uh, you know, uh, did you did you think it was going to happen for you at some point? Well, you know, the funny thing is, I, I it did whether we were there or not. I always told my players, I'm going anyway because I'm going down to watch every year. So uh-huh. I loved that atmosphere. I loved, you know, and I would always take kids if they didn't make it. I would take them down for the weekend or whatever. So I wanted to watch and and take it in and soak it in. And I, to be really, really honest, I never really, you know, I made my, I made up a decision early in my career that I wasn't going to judge my success based on, you know, purely wins and losses and resume and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to have an impact on kids the best that I could. Uh, I was hoping to, you know, teach them more things about life than I was about basketball and try to be a good example. Uh, you know, and, and as you know, as you get older, you, you, you value those things more and become a better example, you know, as you go along. But, I, I never really thought about it much. And then <laughs> my son, one year, we, we lost when my first son, Jake, was a freshman. Elbernet, we had beaten them twice during the year, and they had a really good team, and they upset us in the in the district uh, round. And he's in the locker room. And, you know, most kids are in the locker room trying to figure out, you know, how did the coach blow a game when we already beat this team twice or whatever. And as soon as I got done talking, my son said right away, he said, Dad, uh, don't worry about it. We're going to get you to the state tournament, you know. And I, I, it really made me emotional because I really hadn't thought about getting the state tournament. Really, I just yeah. took every year a game by game, and you know, thought, gosh, if we ever get there, we get there. And, you know, there was a couple of close calls along the way where we lost in sub-state games, but yeah, um, yeah, it, it was. And I never really thought, well, geez, I must be doing something wrong. But you do start to think, okay, well, 
how many sub-state games do I have to lose before I'm the problem? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 usually not that. I mean, if you're at the sub-state in Iowa or, or any state, you're at that game to go uh, to the state tournament, more than likely you're playing a high-quality opponent. And there's a lot of things that can happen in a very short game that can turn the tide one way or the other. And so, you know, it, it, it's it's just part of the process. Uh, but you have kind of figured it out, Mike. You, you've been to five state finals in a row um, and, and split it pretty good, uh, two and three. Um, what, uh, what do you think has been uh, kind of the key to get your team's uh, the last few years, playing as well as they have been in February and March to make those deep runs into the state tournament, and especially once you get to the state tournament. Yeah, you know, that's one thing we've really taken a lot of pride in over the last six years. I think our record at, at the state tournament's 14-4 and four over that six-year span. So, you know, you you definitely know you're playing the best of the best when you get down there. You know, I, I again, I think it goes back to I really – you know, we don't prepare any differently, whether it's a state championship game or whether it's a game against a team we're supposed to beat by 40. Um, the kids make fun of me a lot because they, they, you know, apparently in practices, I, I can convince them that a team that should never beat them can beat them, and we prepare just like they're going to beat us. So uh, we do the same thing at the state tournament. We talk about the team's strengths and weaknesses, and we try to do – do the best we can. And, and I, you know, I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm a huge believer and I don't, I know this is probably against maybe some other people and what they think, but I'm a huge believer at the end of the year that we keep the kids fresh uh, way less at the end of the year. Uh, we do a lot more, you know, mentally just talking about what the other team's going to do. And, you know, everybody, I mean, you can do as many defensive drills as you want over the course of a, a six month season, but if you're not doing it right on the court after the first, you know, month or two, you know, then what, what are those girls doing you? So we, we really tone down what we do at the end of the year and try to stay fresh mentally and physically. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's what I think is one of the keys to our success is I, I don't think the kids get burnt out or they don't feel like it's a, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, you know, those seasons can get pretty, pretty stressful and pretty long. And, and we try to keep it, you know, fun and fresh for them as much as we can. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Coach, you, you, you talked about um, coaching with your dad, which is an interesting, uh, interesting situation. That's, that's, that's kind of a rarity, uh, coaching with your dad. I don't know, uh, how many years did you coach with your dad? About four or five? I got to think here. I think it was actually, it was either five or six. Five or six. Oh, okay. You made it five or six years longer than my dad would have made it. And, and my dad and I would have made it. So, uh, you know, and it would have been my fault too, because my dad's a really laid back guy. So it, it, it wouldn't, you know, they would, 1% of that would have been Ron's fault. 99% of that would have been Marty's fault. So I, 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 I claim it. Um, but you also, uh, you've also had the opportunity the last few years, as you kind of stated earlier, uh, to coach your kids and, and your your boys, um, uh, uh, Jake and Austin have have had tremendous athletic careers in a variety of different sports. Uh, in some ways, it had to be uh, really really easy to to coach your sons. You kind of had the dream position of uh, you know yeah you got to coach your kids, but your kids are probably the best players on the team, so nobody can really say anything about you playing your kids a lot because they're the, they're the best players on the team uh, but so, in some ways, there probably had to be some challenges along the way as well mike could you could you kind of just talk about the the experience of of coaching your sons and and I'm sure a lot of it was extremely extremely positive, but were there any challenges along the way how How did that all kind of work itself out over the last five or six years or so between Jake and Austin? Yeah, you know, both of them were a little bit different uh, to coach, and uh, you know, one of the one of the things that 
that I really like is they're both really smart basketball players. So they're helping with the coaching on, on the court. But you know, what, when, when what comes along with that sometimes is sometimes just like if you're co-coaching with somebody or you have an assistant coach, that's really good. That gives you suggestions a lot. Sometimes you don't always agree. So, you know, it, it's still tough when, if your kid thinks, well, Hey, maybe we should try this. And you're thinking, well, I don't know if we want to do that right now or, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I always tried, I, I played for my dad. It was tough. And, you know, everybody says, if you're coaching your own kids, you better be twice as hard on them as you are on everybody else. And I've never really subscribed to that philosophy. Actually, I, I kind of went the other way. And, you know, since being a coach's kid, I always thought I'm going to do my best to understand, you know, what they're going through as a coach's kid and try to be, you know, try to be fair, but I'm not going to over, you know, discipline my own kids, you know, any more than I would anybody else. So, you know, I, th- I think it's uh, it's probably the most rewarding thing, you know, you can do in life really is be able to, you know, be with your kids uh, doing the job that you love and, and watching them be successful. I was pretty fortunate to, to have two talented kids. I don't know how that happened or, you know, why God <laughs> raised us with that, but, you know, pretty darn lucky that that happened. And then not only that, I happened to end up in a in a school where there was a lot of talent around them. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that doesn't always happen either. So they know how fortunate they are for that to happen. And, and so do I, but yeah, there was, there was definitely some challenges. I guess one of my favorite stories is I got a college coach that told me, and you know, parents don't understand how stressful it can get when you're coaching your own kids, but him and his son got in an argument at practice and he kicked his son out. And so the son took the car and went home and <laughs> the dad realized, dad realized after practice that his, uh, his car was gone, so he had to walk home because the kid wasn't going to come back and get him, and he wasn't about to call him. So he walked home in the freezing cold, didn't say a word to his son when he got home. And his mom said that supper was very stressful. They weren't talking to each other. And so they, when they went to bed that night, the mom says, you know, to the coach, hey, you got you to gotta fix this. And he goes, hey, this isn't me. This is this is Jake. And his son was also Jake. And, he, and the, the wife says, well, I don't know about that. You're the adult. And he goes, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. He knows he should know what he did wrong in practice. And so they tried to go to sleep and about two o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on their bedroom door. Their son, Jake flips on the light and he goes, dad, I just want you to know, I still hate you. And he shut the light back off. <laughs> when I so so you, you know, as a parent, those are the difficult days for sure. But I never had one quite that bad, but you know, we had some drag outs where we had to, you know, come home and talk through things and, uh-huh. And it is it is tough because you want what's best for your kid, but you you know you want to learn the same lessons everybody else is learning, and, mm-hmm. and you want to be fair. So, but yeah, it, it's you know I always looked at it as pretty darn rewarding when you you know can look out on the court at your own kid. It's also it's also a lot more stressful. Yeah, how uh, it had to be kind of all worth it. Uh, one of the really cool stories I read uh, in preparation for today was. Uh, you got to, you know, both of your boys gave you a big hug after they won the state championship. Um, you know, on, on the, the the two separate occasions that had to just that had to feel like a million bucks and made it all worth it. Yeah, I mean, how lucky can you be not only to win, you know, one or two state titles, but to do it the two years that your kids are are a senior and be able to, you know, clutch around the court, you know, same court you couldn't get on for for 25 years in your career before. So, you know, and then my dad was there for that first one as well. You know, let's, you know, hug him on the court and have all four of us on that team. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, those are memories and, you know, pictures that I'll never, that are vivid in my mind that I'll never, never forget very special moments between both me and both my boys. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've, I've been blessed for sure. Uh, yeah. The last, you know, 31 years of coaching has, you know, even when things weren't going well, when they're lost wise, I always always had good kids and, and great special moments. So mm-hmm. nothing nothing like hugging your kid at the end of the season and knowing that they just achieved you know the goal that they worked so hard for. Uh, how excited are you to watch them to play uh, together again at Upper Iowa? Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. So you know, it'll be interesting because Upper Iowa was really really good last year. They lost you know two two very good players to graduation and then some others as well, but. Uh, but two first-team all-conference guys, so they, they do have some holes to fill. It'll just be interesting to see, you know, uh, when Austin gets up there where he fits in. And, you know, I'm hoping for a year or two at least get to see him play together, and, and hopefully Jake will stay for his fifth year after after this year. But, yeah, it's awesome. They You know, Upper Iowa is the only D2 school in Iowa, and they're, 
they're actually 45 minutes right out our back door. And so we, uh, we belong to a golf course about halfway there. So we've already talked about how we're going to try to meet once a week and golf when it's nice and mm-hmm. go out to eat and things like that. So, you know, they're close enough. I, I don't lose total touch, but far enough away that they don't have to worry about their dad <laughs> knowing everything they're doing either. Absolutely. Uh, well, you, it sounds like you have quite the setup at your house there. Uh, you kind of got this, uh, this basement, uh, mega bachelor pad down there. And, uh, uh, I, I think I'm ready to move in, Mike. Uh, and, and I don't know if my wife would, would, would be disappointed if I did that, but, uh, uh, no, it, uh, was this, was this, uh, this, uh, setup that you, that you have down in your basement, was it something that was kind of planned along the way, or is it something that just kind of happened organically and all of a sudden, uh, it, it turns into this uh, kind of funplex type of place. Yeah, actually, we got pretty lucky. We had some friends that uh, uh, the the guy got uh, Grant Westmeyer. He got uh, promoted and moved to Sioux Falls, uh, and their house was for sale. And I remember telling my wife we had been in their house before, and I had said, you know, we'll probably never move, but if we ever did, that's the kind of house I'd like with a basement like that. And so when they were moving, we kind of knew ahead of time and. Uh, you know, our other house had a, a nice basement, but not quite as much room as this one had. And so we bought the house and it's got like a big room where there's a TV and a pool table and a, you know, a little bar where they can have food and stuff like that. And then you go down the hall, there's a whole other living room. So it's basically like having two, two man caves in one. And those kids go down there and half of them will be playing video games on one half. The others will be watching a movie or a replay of one of the games. And uh, I'm really going to miss that because, you know, it's pretty cool as a coach when you can, you know, have your entire teams at your house. And uh, mm-hmm. on December 31st, when other coaches are worried about what the kids are doing, every single kid on our team sitting in our basement or whatever. So uh, it, it's been great. I'm hoping that somehow we can keep that tradition going, even though the boys won't be here, mm-hmm. see if we can get the kids to come over and, and hang out. But, yeah, we got we got pretty fortunate to you know, to, to get the house that we got on a quiet street and, mm-hmm. and we love it. it. Has that, do you, do you think that has been a little extra ingredient in your recipe for success to have the availability for the kids to just have a place to hang out, uh, have it be a safe place, have it be a safe zone and just kind of build those relationships off the floor as well as what they're doing off on the floor. Yeah, you know, I really do. And honestly, the, the biggest thing I see, and, and I, you know, it depends what size school you're from, but a, a school our size, the thing that I see the most that's really cool here is our kids, it doesn't matter what grade they're in. It doesn't matter what sport they're in. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody's invited when they go somewhere. So, you know, we'll have, it won't just be our basketball boys here. There'll be some wrestlers here. There'll be some, you know, sometimes, sometimes a lot of some of the girls over, our managers are here. And it's, you know, it's freshmen through seniors. So it's, and, and, you know, the nice thing is, uh, the other parents know that there's nothing going on that shouldn't be at our house. So, uh, they can, they can let them be here with confidence. And I mean, literally there's probably, you know, many weekends, there's over 20 kids down there and they all just spend the night, and get up in the morning when they're ready and, and take off. So, uh, I definitely think, and I, you know, I think that even outside of just our house, if they're not here, they'll go somewhere else and they all hang out. But I think the the fact that our kids, they all root for each other. They all get along. If you're not playing, you're not on the bench complaining. You're not playing. You're, you're, you know, you're rooting for the guy out there. You're not hoping, well, I hope this kid plays terrible tonight so I get more minutes. There's just no kids like that here. And I've, I've been really, really fortunate. I think I've been here 23 years now, and I, I literally can only remember two or three discussions with any parents, and really only one of those was, was what I would call maybe unprofessional in, in the way I was approached. And I have hardly had any issues with kids. So it's been a, it's been a true blessing to be at Northland uh, all this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've had, like I said, one heck of a run here, uh, five championship games in a row. I, I think I saw 106 and three in the last four years. Uh, you know, your, your, your old or your middle child, your youngest son has graduated. Uh, how, how excited are you for the challenge of keeping this thing going? And and I and I, I don't know if you'd want to call it a rebuild or or anything like that, you know. But just you know, okay, now this we're kind of moving into this new uh, this this new segment of the journey, uh, this new part of the journey here. Uh, how excited are you for that? Has it kind of re you know re energized you? And, and it's like okay, hey, 
we're, we're going to do this without this piece, this piece, and this piece. And we've got, we feel like we're, we're in a really good place to keep this run going uh, for as long as we can. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I really think our success has just burned more success because these kids see, you know, they see what Jake Hilmer did and they see what Austin Hilmer did to you know, to get as good as they are and, and the time they put in, we got all kinds of guys doing that. Uh, and what, what you find all of a sudden when you're, when you're playing really, really well and having that success is you have some really good players that people don't know about that don't actually get to play when they're a freshman, like you might at another school because mm-hmm. there's so many good players ahead of you. And uh, we had a dynamite freshman point guard that'll be a sophomore next year that, you know, people know who he is, but they're about to find out how good he is next year when he's, you know, when he's the guy running the point and, uh, we've got another kid that played mostly JV that had a couple big shots in the state tournament, didn't play a whole lot, but, uh, he's turned himself into a great basketball player. And then we got a couple returners that are already really good. So, and then we've got a whole crew of kids, you know, right. You know, our five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 11 guys are all pretty even and all really good players. So, um, I, I think it's been, you know, it's kind of been one of probably the things I'm most proud of is we lose, you know, a really good player and everybody thinks, well, we'll see how they do next year. And then those, those players take that kind of as a challenge uh, and, and they work hard in the off season and we've just been able to sustain it. I think we've got a great chance of having a good team again next year, but you know, I have to keep reminding people just because we made it and had such a good run doesn't mean it's easier that it's just going to happen because at some point that's going to end. And, you know, whenever it does, we're still going to be proud of, of whatever we've accomplished, but uh, it's a great goal to have every year. And I, and I think it's a great, challenge not only for the kids but for the coaches to to see if we can get back there every year so uh kind of a fun thing to have to worry about coach at this time we uh we jump into what uh we we call it the john wooden quote of the day uh we take it from uh john wooden's uh book uh wooden a lifetime of observations on and off the floor and uh, i pick out a quote from from the book and I read it and we talk about it. And, and that's kind of one of our, our transition points here. So uh, Mike, are you ready for the John Wooden quote of the day? Absolutely. All right. Uh, uh, the John Wooden quote of the day from page 151 of Wooden's book here, a lifetime of observations is, and it's a little bit longer, so I'll try to read it slowly, but not too slowly here. Uh, the quote of the day is, I have found, however, that often people do not realize they are acquiring a sense of inflated importance. Others see it, but they may not. So I wanted to first give the player an opportunity to make the adjustment without embarrassing him by speaking to him in private. And, you know, Wooden's talking about one-on-one communication and, you know, uh, that type of stuff. Just kind of your interpretation of that quote and Wooden's philosophy on that, Mike. Well, you know, I, I think that when you when you look at a quote like that from a guy like John Wooden who had a, you know, he obviously is one of the most well-known coaches ever uh, and probably reminds me a lot of my dad and how calm they were and how they could, you know, and I, I'm a little bit on the other side. I'm a little fiery and sometimes I get on kids, but uh, I think what it generally means is, you know, you, you don't want to just jump all over the kids and not have them know that you care about them and things like that. And there's no matter what your approach is or, you know, what your technique is for getting kids to see their mistakes and improve on them. Uh, you have to, the kid has to know you care about them and, and you don't want to try to embarrass them, you know, in front of other people. So, you know, that's one thing that I've really tried to hone in on and improve on in my career is, you know, being able to wait to talk about things or, 
you know, let the little things go and, and just get a better time to talk to kids or whatever. Because there's, there's a lot of heat of the battle moments in a sport like basketball going back and forth. And, and you know, sometimes maybe you do, you know, go a little overboard and you have to, you know, you have to be in the locker room and tell one of the kids, hey, sorry about that. I might overreact on that shot you took or whatever the, the case might be. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's obviously a quote, uh, you know, in, in showing that, uh, you know, you, there, there's different ways to uh, correct behaviors, and there's proper ways to do it. And you know, you wanna you wanna put the kid first. Yep. Well, coach, let's jump into your stuff here. And, and speaking of jumping, uh, the running and the jumping, and and uh, a big part of your success the last few seasons has been teaching uh, the full court run and jump. I am a big, big fan of the run and jump. Um, it, it, it takes a while to learn, but I think it's the most effective press uh, that you can run because uh, you know you don't even know where the where the trap is going to come. And I, and I say that it's the most effective trapping press I think you can run uh, because you don't even know where the trap is going to come from. How is the offense supposed to know where the trap is coming from? So I'm a I'm a huge run and jump fan. Uh, I, have tweaked my thoughts over it, uh, on it over the years. I'm really excited to have, uh, this segment of the conversation with you kind of picking your brain a little bit about the run and jump and what you guys do there at North Lynn. Uh, so let's just, let's just dive in and, and you go ahead and start telling us about your run and jump philosophy, how you teach it. Uh, I'll probably interrupt you at some point with some follow-up questions, but I'll try to do it as politely as I can here. Uh, so, Coach, tell us about your run and jump philosophy and, and how you guys kind of get that pressure going there at North Lynn. Well, one of the things, and, and you hit it right on the head, that we love about the run and jump is we, we try not to over-teach it. We want there to be uh, freedom, uh, not necessarily to make mistakes, but we, we don't want there to be a black and white because if there's a black and white for us, then there's a black and white for the team preparing for us. So uh, the kids that have the hardest time with the run and jump are the ones that they need an answer to everything, and you finally have to just say, hey, you, you don't overthink it, just play the game. But uh, it's like you said, we don't, you know, you don't, you don't know if we're going to come trap from behind or we're going to trap in the middle or we're going to run and jump in the middle. And, and honestly, I don't know that sitting on the sideline because we leave a lot of that up to interpretation from our our players. We try to teach concepts. You know, we try to we try to run and jump more in the middle and trap more on the side. Uh, but it doesn't always it doesn't always end up on that way. And it might depend on who's handling the ball for the other team and how many ball handlers they have. And are we going to try to keep it on the left side of the floor tonight or not? Things like that. But um, you know, honestly, uh, over the years, I've been a big pressing guy. I used to be a diamond press guy when I first uh, coached. But I always like pushing the pace of the game. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I really think that what our what our defense does, it allows more kids to play and allows more kids to score because we score a lot more points than if we weren't doing it. Yeah. Um, I can remember, honestly, like 10 years ago at the same school I'm coaching at now where we were trying to score 40 and hold the other team to 38. We played half-court defense and we help, 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 and, you know, don't give up any easy shots. And yeah. and uh, this was a much more, much more fun style. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, it offers a lot more opportunity for, for kids to score. You know, you might be the fourth leading scorer on our team, but you still might get 13 points a game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so. Are, are you are you running and jumping out of a man-to-man? Are you doing it out of a zone setup? What's kind of your basic foundation of it? So what we do, and we've, we've kind of tweaked this over the years, we, you know, we, we experiment quite a bit in practice where we don't tell the – the JV kids, what we're going to do and try to do something a little different just to see if they notice it. But, uh, what we, what we've basically traditionally done is if there's a made shot, we are automatically man to man. You find your guy, you try to find them quick. We try to force the ball to the baseline. Uh, we may have, we have different calls for if we're having an early trap or if we're going to force them first, that type of thing. Um, on a miss basket, uh, we, we, I don't want to say we don't play man-to-man. We run to spots. So, you know, basically like a 2-2-1 press would be. And from there, we build to a man-to-man. So you get to a spot, and then you find the man in your area, and now we're playing man-to-man again. And it's, you know, it's the same thing as we do on a bake. Uh, it's just to prevent, you know, a quick outlet and down the court type of thing on a, on a miss. So um, we usually designate one guy that has to go back. We have a guy that's not much of a rebounder. Uh, on the offensive end, then when when we're shooting the ball, uh, he'll take off and get get back. So we have deep cover, and the other four can kind of be a little bit more aggressive that way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, next year is going to be pretty tough because yeah. I have a lot of good offensive rebounders, so I'm not even sure who to, <laughs> what, what, how we're going to do that. We might just experiment with a different guy going back. I'm not, not 100% sure yet. Uh-huh. But uh, there's no question, you know, we went from, gosh, I mean, we averaged probably 40-some points a game 10 years ago, and now we've probably been one or two in scoring in Iowa each of the last six years pretty easily, probably mm-hmm. each of the last seven years. And that's more due to our defense than it really is due to our offense. Um, what uh, are you? Uh, do, do you have a lot of breakdown uh, drills in teaching this, or is it a lot of, hey, let's just throw it out there and we're going to kind of teach on the fly? Well, that's where my dad comes in. I, uh, Coach Griff, and I always had lots of breakdown drills. So I'm kind of the middle guy. Griff loves drills. He's he's my assistant coach. Travis Griff does an awesome job. If you said I want a two-hour fundamental. Uh, practice tomorrow he would have that ready to go he'd be drawing it on the dashboard of his car on the way home <laughs> he'd have that done in about an hour but uh my dad was the opposite he's like what are we running all this two on two three on three stuff we don't play two on two three on three so he was a let's just go live so we've kind of found a happy medium early in the year we use some breakdown drills just to kind of so they understand the principles of the of the press uh but our kids will tell you and that's one of the things i one of the reasons i think kids love to play here too is uh, you know, what part of, what part of practice does every kid love scrimmaging, you know, mm-hmm. and that's literally what we do most of the day. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're mixing up the teams a little bit once in a while, but we're usually going, you know, best, best six or seven against the next six or seven. And it can get frustrating if you're in that second group sometimes, but they know that a couple of years down the road, they're going to be on the, on the other side of that fence and, and doing the same thing. So we teach a lot on the fly. We might stop and say, okay. You know, here's what happened. We we ran and jump in the middle, blah blah blah. We got them, you know, we got them trapped on the side. Uh, we didn't have deep covered. What should, how should we have rotated there? Mm-hmm. And you know, or what's a better way to rotate there? Because we don't. We try to have no absolutes. We want it to be, uh, what do I want to call it, flexible, so that, like you said, if we don't know exactly, you know, what we're going to do every time, then it's impossible for the offense. And I know as a coach, it's really really hard to teach kids what to do against the pressing defense when you don't know where the traps are coming from or when they're coming and things like that. Yeah. Um, do you, uh, oh, when it comes to your trapping, what's, uh, what are you teaching your kids as far as the reads? Is it, uh, we're waiting for the dribble? Are we waiting to see the back of their head and then going? Uh, how do you teach that jumper to read what's going on with the ball, uh, to when to, when to come to trap? Yeah, you know, honestly, we started off mostly teaching. We don't want you trapping if the guy can see you coming. We want you coming from the side. Uh, we, we try. We'll always leave anybody behind the ball handler. We'll leave wide open. Uh, we're just, we, you know, we're we're waiting to force you to go one way or the other and eventually go up the court. But, uh, but you know, it kind of morphed into well, you know what? Depending on the ball handler, we'll let you know on a scouting report. But. You know, if, if it gets, let's say we've denied it and they didn't get it into their best ball handler, well, maybe we want to go trap that second best ball handler right away and see what he's going to do. And and maybe we're leaving deep open, who knows, you know, or, or maybe we're taking a chance on the cross-court pass or something like that. So, you know, in general, uh, our rule is if the dribbler can see you coming, we're running and jumping that. If he can't see you, we're probably going to get it trapped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with, a, with a coach that is thinking about running and jumping. Um, I, I think one of the, the most difficult things, it's not like, like you said, the old good Dr. Tom Davis diamond press. Uh, kids can figure out the rotations with that in two or three practices. Um, you know, straight man-to-man is just that. Uh, maybe two two ones a little bit more different. You know, one of the things that I have found is you have to have a lot of patience in teaching the run and jump because, like we've talked about the last 10 minutes, Mike, you don't know where it's coming from. Therefore, the kids don't know where right. it's coming from. And it's a different rotation every time. Can you talk about just the patience it takes as a coach to really implement this system? And and if you're going to commit to it, it's not just a two-week commitment or a three-week commitment. It's more of like a two- or three-season commitment to really, right. really get it down, isn't it? Yeah, I, and, you know, I that leads right into why I think we're pretty good at the end of the, of the year is because we progressively, you know, every year you got new kids running the run and jump because a lot of the a lot of our reserve kids, you know, they're pressing the JV game, but they don't get to practice as much in the varsity game because they're, they're turning the ball over a little bit more than, than, the, than the varsity kids are. But, 
no, I, I really think that's one of the things in coaching, I think in general, that's, some, that, that's probably one of my biggest flaws when I was younger is I would try something and if it didn't work right away, I didn't want to, you know, you only have two weeks to get ready when you're a high school coach. You don't have, yeah. it's not like college where you can put it in the off season and stuff as much. And so I would always give up on stuff like that. And, you know, when my dad came, we made a commitment that we were going to press. We were going to, we were going to be patient with it. And we were going to, you know, we were going to do it, make or miss when we could. And we started off doing it, you know, depending on the team. Sometimes we just did make, sometimes we did make send us. And then pretty soon we just decided, you know what, why would we change our philosophy for a good team? If we get good at this, we should be able to press a good team too. So uh, that's what we started to do. And, and yeah, I, you know, patience is a very important because, you know, it's like, it's even like, you know, when you're saying the kids don't always know which rotation, sometimes they'll ask us a question and we're not real sure. We have to talk about it and say, okay, how would we want to cover that? You know, or something like that. Something strange happens or a different formation we haven't seen or, mm-hmm. or something like that. So, uh, so yeah, it's good. I guess kids thinking too a little bit. I mean, it gives them some ownership when they can feel free to ask a question and, uh, and sometimes they might have a suggestion. You'd be surprised how many times the best answer comes from a kid, not a coach. Yeah. I, I know that there there were times where where I've taught it, and a kid will say, "Well, what was I supposed to do here?" And I'd be, you know, there's so much going on, and you're not really sure where they came from. It's like, okay, well, let's recreate where you were because I didn't see where you were, and so right. you know, let's dive into it this way. Show me what you were seeing, and then I can hopefully tell you uh, what you should be doing out of that situation because. I can't remember where you were at and where the ball was at that time to to really figure out where you should have been in that situation. Have you right. ever had that that type of deal, Mike? Yeah, and we have that constantly, to be honest with you, where a kid will ask a question and I'll say, okay, well, tell me where you were. I'm not sure. Everybody go back to where you were when John had the ball right here on the wing and you know, or when they first inbounded or whatever it is, and then we just kind of walk through it. And, and a lot of times, you know, Coach Griffin and I will talk out loud. Well, what are you thinking? He'll he'll say what he's thinking. I'll say what I'm thinking. Or a kid might chime in and say, "Well, what if we, what if we did this?" And you know, it, it gives you gives you a lot of options and a lot of different uh, perspective. And like I said, it gives the kid kids a little bit of ownership too on, you know, uh, what we might may or may not do and, and stuff like that. And I think the other thing it does is it stops practice and everybody is listening to the question. So it makes everybody, whether they're in pressing or not they're learning how to press even though they're, they might be on the offensive side and like, Oh, okay. So that's how they're going to do this because they're trying to solve the puzzle on in JV and how to get the ball up the court. And Griff does a great job with our kids there too. And I, I firmly believe that our player development is especially offensively is our young kids get so much better offensively because of how good we are defensively that when they're on JV, they know every day is going to be a grind and they're going to have to figure some things out and Griff does a great job helping them but then all of a sudden they get in a game where nobody's pressing them and everything just seems that much easier Mm -hmm. how have you created that environment where your players are so willing to ask those questions and and be comfortable saying hey what you know coach I'm not because a lot of times high school kids will just be like I screwed up please don't notice that I screwed up I don't want you to yell at me you know (laughs) that type of thing you know, how, how have you uh, how have you and your coaching staff created that environment where your players feel comfortable asking those questions? Well, one of the things is, you know, we're not going to yell at a kid for asking a question. Uh, asking a question is obviously an indication the kid wants to get better. Uh, I will say, though, our kids over the year, we, we do have a, a portion of our banquet at the end of every uh, season that is uh, the gag gift portion. So if you ask a question uh, that maybe most people would consider a kind of a silly question that probably will be brought up later, but um, it, it, we, we try to just make it fun. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. sometimes they'll ask a question, be like, why are you asking that question? And they kind of everybody gets chuggle out of it. But um, you know, I, I don't know. We, we just, we've always told our kids, I, you know, I, at the end of every season, I give them a form and I always give them a paper form because I don't want them to think I'll have any clue. I give the captain a, an envelope and they fill out a, a survey of, what would you like to see different from your coaches? What can we do to make the program better? And then, you know, I'm going to read that not knowing which kid put what, and I'm going to learn how to be a better coach from, from what my players are telling me. So if I can do that anonymously at the end of the season, then certainly it's going to help me uh, to listen to my players and, and give them a voice during the season as well. Mm-hmm. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkin.com, a great resource for any coach at any level. 
In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Coach, another thing that uh, you you uh, said you'd be willing to talk about is teaching shot selection, and and that's the fine. You know, obviously, uh, everybody wants to shoot the ball. Uh, there's only a few kids that are usually you know, good enough to shoot it as much as you would like for them to shoot it. But a lot of them, you know, most kids like to shoot it a lot. Uh, how uh, or what are some of the ways that you and your coaching staff have taught great so- uh, shot selection, especially when you're trying to play as fast as, as you are? You know, you're emphasizing tempo. You're emphasizing – and obviously a breakaway layup is a breakaway layup. That's a good shot for right. pretty much anybody. But – uh, you want to play fast, you're emphasizing playing fast, but there's those times where you're five on five where you still want to play fast, but you also want to take good shots. So how do you and your coaching staff teach very good shot selection for your kids? Well, you know, we, we're probably outside the norm on this. Uh, I've got a very good friend who uh, coached here in Iowa and retired a few years back who was a big believer that, you know, if you're shooting a three-pointer, you got to be on balance. You got to be on the line. You got to be set. Your feet have to be set, and all this stuff. And and uh, you know, I said, well, then what? You know, how many shots is that kid going to pass up when he thinks he's you know one foot behind the line? Or so I, I've got a lot of friends that that don't that can't believe I let kids shoot shots. I let them shoot. But uh, my philosophy is this: if you're shooting a good enough percentage. Uh, from a certain spot, I'm going to let you shoot it. So if you're, you know, if you're shooting 35% from the three point line in high school, that's probably considered pretty good. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let you let it fly. I don't care if you're on the line, behind the line, you know, whatever the case may be. But if you're shooting 20%, okay, well then that maybe, maybe you do need to be set and you do need to have your, you know, feet under you and everything like that. So we, we don't want to, I guess our philosophy is if we're going to play fast, and we want the ball going up and down the court. We know there's going to be some bad shots at times, but we're going to try to teach them, you know, when when it when is it okay to take this shot and when is it maybe smarter not to and that kind of thing. Um, it, it just reminds me of when people talk shot selection, it reminds me of two things. One, uh, one game we were in one year was a uh, district final, and I can remember the kid caught the ball in the corner, and we had a three-point lead, I think it was at the time, and there was, I don't know, 40 seconds to go, and all we had to do was wait till they fouled us, and he gets ready to launch up a three, and everyone in the in America knows he shouldn't be shooting it. I'm <laughs> holding my head, and he drains it, you know, and it put, basically puts the game away. Uh-huh. And, and it, you know, if he misses, obviously it gives them a better chance than they would have had had he waited until we got fouled. But there's not very many kids, I don't think. You know, I thought back to that often about, okay, so he had the confidence to shoot it, and if we would have told him, you absolutely can't take a shot, you know, if we're up three or 40 seconds ago, we probably wouldn't have took the shot. So, uh-huh. you know, and, and it can backfire on you, I think, sometimes, too. Maybe a kid will take a bad shot when they shouldn't. But uh, we we try to look at it from this philosophy that we'd rather have them taking a bad shot every once in a while than passing up a lot of good shots. Yeah. And so we try to give them, we try to give them within reason freedom. You know, I, I would say if you, if you surveyed our kids, uh, does Coach Homer and Coach Griff give you the green light to shoot from pretty much anywhere you want to? Most of them are going to say, "I don't. I'm never worried about taking a shot." You know, mm-hmm. so uh, you know it might be backwards for, from some people's philosophy, but uh, we we believe pretty strongly in you know giving the kids you know they they gain confidence from being able to take shots without having to think on the court. They're just playing. Well, and and I also think that you know allowing freedom when it comes to shooting the ball and again you, you like you said you don't want a 10 10 three-point shooter jacking a bunch of threes but when you start talking about you can't shoot this shot or you shouldn't shoot this shot i think that not only destroys the confidence in their shooting because they're aware that they're not making it as it is but also i think it also trickles down into then they start overthinking dribbling and passing and all the other things that happen in the game and all of a sudden you have a tentative player all the way around and and a tentative player you can't play this game tentatively is is that part of the thought process as well mike 
Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, we played, uh, I can remember a semifinal game we played against Trainer just a few years ago. And we had a kid that had, I, I think he had two three-pointers or three three-pointers made uh, coming into that game. And I told him, I said, hey, they're not going to guard you tomorrow because on uh, scouting reports, you could see it. And I said, you're just going to have to pull the trigger. You're a good enough shooter that you can make that shot. You know that. You just don't shoot them because, you know, you never need to. And uh, <laughs> the boy said he was YouTubing that night uh, how to shoot a three-pointer. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he made four three-pointers in that game. And I think the next year made six again. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. he, but he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't go in thinking, oh boy, if I shoot and miss or whatever, he, he just went in knowing that I wanted him to shoot it. And, you know, a part of that I think is, is just fate and, and karma and things like that. But, you know, some of that has to be, you know, he felt comfortable shooting it and, and wasn't worried about it from, from a coaching standpoint either. So, um, but the other, the other, uh, example I was going to tell you, this guy then and I who have this, uh, you know, kind of tussle about what a good shot is and, and how, how balanced you have to be and all that. We happened to be at a college game together and he had been retired for two years and he said, yeah, he goes, I can't hardly stand going to watch these games. I can't, the amount of shots these kids take that they shouldn't be taking. <laughs> we had a kid on Upper Iowa's team and he just graduated. His name, his name was Jerese Williams, just a stud. And when he was, he was one, you know how there, there's such thing. If, if you've ever played basketball, you know what, there's nights, you know, if you throw it up, it's going in. Yep. And he was one of those guys that was just a streak shooter. And he had 30 points in one half in an upper Iowa Division II basketball game. And I don't think he took one. Every time he shot it, you're like, what is he doing? And boom, <laughs> it went in. And I, I saw him at the end. I saw the other coach at the end of the game. And I go, well, man, it's a good thing you're not coaching this game. He had zero. Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to shoot any of those shots. So, you know, you can see it both ways. If you watch enough basketball and you're around enough, uh, I'm not sure the philosophy is necessarily what matters. It's it's the belief the kids have and the philosophy that you give them. Uh, hey, coach, they're they're not all going in, but the next one is, baby. You know, <laughs> that's right. Shooters are going to shoot it. <laughs> shooters, shooters got to shoot, baby. Yeah, you know. Uh, I remember uh, my sophomore year, we were playing over at Emmitsburg, and uh, we were up one with like one minute left to go. And I got, I was wide open from the wing and I was just like, ah, I'm going to let this fly. And, and our coach was, uh, he was, he was very, uh, intense. We'll just leave it at that. And I, and I literally, as I let it go, I heard him say, no, it went up and I hit nothing but net. I mean, I drilled it and we ended up winning by six or seven. And I just kind of looked over and I was like, eh, sorry, you know, and he's, he's, and you know, he told me afterwards, you know, you're lucky you made that shot. And I'm like, well. Eh. But I, I knew it was going in. I knew it was going in. So um, let's uh, let's talk. I a didn't bit. realize you were from Emmitsburg. No, I'm not from. I, I grew up in Sheldon. So oh, uh, you did. Well, I was really good friends with Claude Strew for through the years uh, when I was at Estherville, and he yep. was a heck of a coach at Sheldon. Yep, yep. Uh, Claude was my high school. I actually I brought my team up to Northwest Iowa a few weeks ago for a barnstorming tour and ran into Mr. Struve outside of our hotel and. Got a chance to talk to him for about ten minutes, so uh, it was good. It was nice to see him. It was nice to see him. So, um, so yeah, I'm an Orab, and you were a midget. So uh, that's right. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, hey, enough. To, you know, uh, we, we could talk about all that memory lane stuff. Uh, the the old lakes conference when we get off air. I don't know how many people want to listen to that right now, but uh, uh, let's wrap up, uh, Mike, talking about your your scouting philosophy. And obviously, when you're when you're playing fast, um, when you're when you're moving the ball, when you're when you're doing different things with your with your pressure system, uh, your your scouting reports. Uh, you, you got a lot to look at, and and I'm sure there's a lot of information that you want to give to your kids, but you you know you don't want paralysis by analysis. You don't want their their feet being stuck in mud because they're thinking about things too much. How do you and your coaching staff take uh, all the stuff that you're probably looking at and narrow it down to where it's digestible and your kids are playing without thinking about things too much about what's going on on the floor they're being reactive but also being aware of you know uh yeah we're supposed to take this away tonight and we you know this is one of our big emphasis and and so forth and so right. on you know how, how do you folks do that there at Northland? well you know i'm i'm still uh a lot of those coaches nowadays like even have they can put a lot of their scouting report on on uh, huddle or on video and stuff like that and i'm still not uh 
that adept at it. So I, I still type up my scouting reports with diagrams and stuff on it. But what I do, and I tell our kids this all the time, is I'm going to make the scouting report based on all the stuff I've learned, and I want it all on there so it so that I, myself as a coach, can see it and go through it before games and stuff like that. You guys don't need to pay attention to everything on here. Uh, we'll, we'll highlight what's important, but we always try to give them an idea. You know, are they going to play man? Are they going to play zone? If they're going to play zone, what are they playing? And we try to, you know, just talk through those those things when we're in practice. And then, you know, for us, it's more, you know, who are their ball handlers? Who are their shooters? Um, you know, I'm not big on going out and guarding a kid that can't shoot unless we're going to go, you know, if, if he can't drive or do anything and he's a weak link, then, yeah, maybe we're going to go trap or whatever. Uh, but we, we'd rather take the passing lanes away and make a, you know, a kid that doesn't shoot a lot actually shoot the ball. So, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. But we, you know, I used to, we used to go through and, and coach Griff would agree with this. We used to go through and run the other teams with sets over and over and make sure we had every, you know, screen and stuff covered. Uh, but that was when we played slow and we knew we were going to be on defense, you know, 16 minutes out of a 32 minute game. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, we're hoping to be on the offensive most of the time because of our defense. So, you know, we'll walk through the, we'll walk through an offense or, or something a couple of times and just show them, you know, here's how we would defend this. We're going to switch the screen instead of, you know, instead of getting through it or whatever. But, uh, we, that's how we try to manage it. I mean, we, we want them to be able to see. And then I've gotten a little bit better at where I can, you know, kids like video and they, they like, that's where their, you know, world is now. So we try to, if I can just find one clip of each thing they do and put it on a playlist on huddle, they can get on there and then they can see on the scouting report, okay, here's that play. So I do a lot of, okay, here's their main offense. Here's two clips, go to the 523 mark of, of their last game and the 628 mark, and you'll see a, a pretty good example of it. And then they can go and, and watch that film. Uh-huh. So that, that's kind of how we balance it. And, and like I said, we probably went, we used to be really, you know, we really would go over sets and sets and stuff like that and all their plays. And now we just kind of touch on it, how we going to cover it. And then we kind of let the kids get mentally prepared for that, you know, in the locker room before the game and, and when they're watching film. Uh, when do you, uh, you know, are, are you guys kind of the typical Tuesday, Friday schedule there in, uh, yeah. at your yeah. place? So, um, how much time are you spending on Wednesday on your Friday opponent as opposed to Thursday? What's kind of your pace uh, getting ready for, let's say, Friday night? Obviously, Monday's a lot driven for, for what you're going to be doing on Tuesday night. But, you know, like your Wednesday, you know, what are you looking at? You know, honestly, on Wednesdays, we really try to hone in on what, what we're working on ourselves and not worry about the other the opponent. And mm-hmm. it's kind of by design since we have to do that. You know, the Tuesday game, we're only going to have Monday to prepare anyway, so... We just try to settle in on the one day to prepare. And I, you know, I would say it used to be almost a half and a half deal where we would go through their scouting report stuff and our stuff on Mondays and Thursdays. But now, uh, really, it's probably 20% that we go over their stuff and 80% we just keep working on ours. Now, we might, we might show the kids, hey, here's how they're going to try to break the press. You have to run their press offense. You know, and and Coach Griff will put that in with the JV kids, and while I'm over talking to the varsity kids about how they're going to do it and stuff like uh-huh. that, and we might have the JV kids run a set or two. Uh, but but you know, it's hard to mimic it because your your kids obviously don't have the same exact skill set as the sure. the kids you're going to play against anyway. But um, I, I think it helps to kind of have a visual and, and see what they're going to do and where our traps might come from, things like that. Okay. Awesome stuff. Uh, Mike Helmer, head boys basketball coach at Northland High School. Uh, coach, keep keep burning up those highway miles. Uh, there is, is uh, you, you got you got one you got one uh, big road trip uh, left to go in your in your quote unquote season here, and then you get you get a little bit of downtime uh, from from the AD duties, and probably get uh, you know wrap up your your summer a little strong with some basketball stuff. I'm guessing the last uh, two or three weeks of, of time. Yeah, well, in Iowa, we have a new thing that just started last summer, which as a basketball coach, I hate, and as an athletic director, I love. <laughs> uh, it's an eight-day no-contact period. So from mm-hmm. Sunday, this coming Sunday, the 24th through Sunday, uh, August 31st, we cannot have any contact with any of our kids. We can't use our facilities. And so we'll have eight days of downtime there, and then they'll start football camps, and we'll just have open gyms where they can get in and work on their shooting and stuff like that. But for the most part, this is the last week that we wrap up our 
our basketball stuff and most of our kids were playing baseball so yep. you know obviously that makes it difficult too but uh I, I really think that that's what helps our our school out a lot is having those kids you know in multiple sports yep uh coach any any social media that you'd like to plug for yourself or or for your for your school as as the activities director you know, no, not really. We have our own Facebook page and Twitter page, but uh, I don't run that, and the guy that does does a really good job of promoting it, but uh, I, I'm not even exactly sure. I think it's at Northland CSD, maybe, uh, on Twitter, but uh, we will definitely plug yours uh, after this a podcast and listen in on a, on a lot of your future ones as well. Oh, that is awesome. Uh, you know, coach, I really appreciate your time. I know it's, it's been a, a chaotic summer here balancing all of your duties as an AD, as a dad, as a, as a basketball coach. And so I appreciate the, the hour or so that we've carved out here today to, to talk about some hoops and, and talk about some really, really good stuff. I hope you've enjoyed your time on the pod. I had a great time, and I appreciate you inviting me and uh, would be glad to talk anytime. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, if you could hold the line here, just got to wrap up with a few things, and, and, and we'll head home here. So, uh, again, Mike Kilmer, head boys basketball coach at Northland High School in Iowa here. Want to thank him for being on the pod again. Our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic. Want to thank them so much for all of their support. Uh, uh, again, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin, uh, daily coaching tidbits out on the Twitter handle, uh, download rate, review this podcast, give us five stars, give us a follow, uh, subscribers keep climbing up there and up there and up there. So we're really excited about that. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Check out a pen and a napkin.com, a really good coaching website. And of course, visit our Patreon page if you get the opportunity and would like to be generous with your money. Uh, this is Marty Plum from a pen and a napkin. And again, enjoyed, really enjoyed having Mike Hilmer on the podcast here today. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.